Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, today I want to begin a, just a two-part series of messages, and, and I've just entitled this Reboot. How many of you have ever punched something in your GPS and you took a wrong turn and it said recalculating? Recalculating. Well, well today I want to talk to you about recalculating. Uh, what, what kind of got me going on this is, is well, well, they tell us that nine and a half percent, this was before COVID, by the way, nine and a half percent of Americans would be considered to be depressed, clinically depressed at any time. And that 30% of us are simply depressed, struggling with depression at any time. Now, then, then along came COVID with the dread and the discouragement, the depression, the hopelessness, and people are looking at the unrest and the political situation and what's happening in your family and the, the lack of connectivity with other people and the uncertainty that's out there. Uh, how many of you would say that you might be struggling with depression? There, there's a lot of hands, a lot of hands. I, I want to just kind of jump ahead to where we're going. But Isaiah chapter 26 says this. It says, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. It, what, what the Bible is telling us, that what you think about determines how you feel. Okay? What you think about determines how you feel. Now, we think what I feel determines what I think about. But it's actually the exact opposite. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. He said, don't let it. In other words, you can control what's going on on the inside of you. You can control how you feel. You, he said, do not let your heart be troubled. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, the apostle Paul says, we do not get discouraged. Oh, you know, for years I've been telling pastors, I said, you need to be able to have people spit in your face, cuss you out, run you over with a steamroller, and then stand up and say, hallelujah, we got victory. We got victory. He said, we do not get discouraged. We just don't do it. And Jesus said, you don't have to. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, what you, deter what you think about really determines where your feelings go, what you're thinking about. But to begin with today, Psalms 150, right in the middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms. And, and unfortunately, it's all the Bible that some people ever read. They feel bad and they just pick up a Psalm. It's kind of like taking an aspirin. Now I'm just going to have a Psalm or two. All right. Uh, Psalms 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with string instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything 
that has breath, praise the Lord. Listen, that is not a suggestion. It's a command. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You were created to praise God. But just like that GPS tells you recalculating, when you begin to praise God, it recalculates, it reboots you on the inside, and it redirects your thoughts. And uh, it can take you out of a place of hopelessness and discouragement and depression and lift you up. In fact, in Psalms, excuse me, Isaiah 61, the Bible says God will give you the garment of praise for or instead of the spirit of heaviness. Now, heaviness is an old English word that means depression. And I think it's interesting. It says the spirit, the spirit of heaviness, the garment of praise. In other words, you begin to put that praise on. You begin to thank God in that garment of depression that you had, that spirit of depression, it goes. As you begin to worship God, as you begin to be thankful to the Lord. Listen, praise is God's address. Praise is his address. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. You want God to show up in your life? You want him to show up at your house, in your family, in your business? Start praising because praise is his address. And it literally, it reboots, it recalculates the way that we're thinking. And we turn from a victim into a victor. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, it's the fifth book in, in your Bible. And the children of Israel have just spent 40 years in the desert. And God is about to take them in to the promised land. Now, I, I did want to mention this. The Bible tells us that the actual journey through the desert was an 11-day journey. It took them 40 years. It took 40 years. Now, it wasn't God's best for it to take 40 years, but it took them 40 years. You can stay in the desert a long time. Right? Now, he say, now you're going to be going into the promised land. And he says, and when you've eaten and you're full, and you built beautiful houses and you dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold have multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Verse 17 says, then you will say in your heart, my power in the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. Let me say something. God is not against you having wealth and stuff, but he's against wealth and stuff having you. And he's against your thinking that the reason you have it is because you're hot stuff. That's what God's against. He's not against the stuff. In fact, the Bible says he richly gives you all things to enjoy, not to hide, not to feel bad about, but he richly gives you all things to enjoy. So here's the next verse. But you shall remember the Lord your God, because the tendency is to forget God. I've got everything that I need. I've got abundance. And man, look what I did. And God says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you the power, the ability, 
the, the giftedness, the ingenuity, the favor to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto your fathers, even as it is this day. The problem is when we're blessed, we tend to forget God. We tend to forget all those blessings. How many remember that old song, count your blessings? Name them one by one. Right? And when we begin to do that, that's when God begins to show up in our life. And that is when we are recalibrated on the inside to begin to see things the way that we should see things. In 2 Chronicles 5 and verse 13, it says, Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets, the cymbals, the instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he's good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. Now, this is the glory cloud. This is the Shekinah glory of God. So that the priest could not continue to minister because of the cloud. One translation says it this way, they couldn't stand. They were literally knocked over by the power of God. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. When they begin to praise, God's glory filled the house. It can fill your house, fill your life, fill your family, come into the situation, into the battle that you and I are in. Christmas Eve, 1997. Catherine Hartley, a 33-year-old computer software developer, wandered outside of Powder Mountain Ski Area in Utah and got lost in the wilderness. She was cold and alone on the mountain. The temperature was in the single digits. She knew if she sat down, she would freeze to death. So she did more than just stay on her feet. She danced. She thought of the songs that she remembered from the 1990s. She danced to them all. Then she thought of the songs she remembered from the 80s, and she danced to them all. Then she thought of the songs from the 70s, and she danced to them all. For 18 hours, she danced, knowing that if she didn't dance, she'd die. Sometimes you have to dance to get where you need to go. Sometimes you need to praise. You need to lift up your voice. You need to lift up your hands. You may even need to lift up your feet, but you need to begin to praise God. Psalms 149. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their bed. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth, a two-edged sword in their hand. So praise doesn't just recalibrate you. Praise is a weapon. It says to execute the vengeance on the nations, the punishment on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all of his saints. You might think that praise is for somebody else, but it's for all the saints. It belongs to you. And again, praise is his address. Any place, any time, any situation, any circumstances. And your celebration is a demonstration of your expectation. We'll say that again. I'm sounding, I'm sounding like Steve Hage. You know, he likes to rhyme. But your celebration is a demonstration of your expectation. With the way that faith is expressed is through celebration. Not after the fact, but before the fact. After the fact, it's thanksgiving. But before the fact, it's 
That praise is literally an expression of your faith. Praise is appreciation for who he is. Gratitude is an appreciation for what he has done. Why don't you think about Joshua? This is who I thought about when I was putting this message together. Now, now, the children of Israel have been in the desert for 40 years under Moses. Moses brought them out of Egypt. It's under Moses, the Red Sea split. Under Moses, every day, God literally, every morning, God would rain bread from heaven. That's the Bible says. In the book of Psalms, it depends on, one translation says the corn of heaven. So we must be farming in heaven. Another translation says bread of heaven. So I just figure it's cornbread. All right. But it literally, it rained down every morning for 40 years. The Bible says their clothes did not wear out. I'm liking this. Nor did their shoes. Praise the Lord. Your wife doesn't need new shoes. This is a good thing. Right? 40 years. In all of this time, Moses is leading. He goes up on the mountain. He spends 40 days with God. Comes down with the Ten Commandments. He is a mentor to Joshua, a father figure, a leader. And he is not only Joshua's, but he is the nation's connection to a supernatural God. And he dies. He dies. And God says, Joshua, you're the new man. And not only is it a new man, it's a new assignment. Because they're not staying in the desert any longer. They're going into the promised land with seven nations more powerful than they are. Walled cities and giants. And he's supposed to lead the children of Israel, who the Bible says are stiff-necked, hard-hearted, and unruly. And this is what God says to him. Joshua 1, 6. Be strong and of good courage. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong. Be of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Now, why did God keep on telling them not to be afraid, not to be discouraged? Because he was afraid. He was discouraged. He's looking and he's like, man, nobody's ever done this before. This is new. This is different. And he is discouraged. But what God keeps telling him is, look, I'm with you. So be strong. Be of good courage. Do not be afraid. I believe that God would say that to you. God would say that to me. No matter what your situation is, no matter what new thing you're looking at is in front of you, he's saying, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid. God's with you. He's still on the throne. He still loves you. He's still your provider. And and I've heard people say this. Now, now I want you to listen carefully because you could misconstrue what I'm saying. People say, well, God's just in charge. God's in charge. God's in charge. I want to ask you something. Is he? I want to just say this. If he is, he sure made a mess of things. Now, Psalms 78, verse 41. Again and again, they tempted God. And they limited the Holy One of Israel. What did they do to God? They limited. So so God wanted to do things for them, but God couldn't do things for them because they limited God 
with their lack of expectation, their lack of belief, their lack of praise, and they limited God. God wanted to do things that did not get done for Israel. And I believe this is true. In fact, I know this is true. God sometimes wants to do things for you and do things for me that don't get done. Because we limit God. We limit God. Our expectation of what God is going to do for us is so low. God said to Joshua again and again, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid. And then I love it. The last thing the people say to him, only be strong and courageous. They, they understood. They understood. Right? Uh, don't let your heart be troubled. Because when you have, your heart's troubled and there's doubt and there's unbelief and there's discouragement and there's depression, we are going to be limiting God. You say, yeah, but you don't know my financial situation. You don't know how I feel in, in the COVID, in my job, in my family. You know what? I don't know all that stuff, but this is what I know. I know that there is nothing that is hard for the Lord. The God, the God who said, let there be light and galaxies, galaxies leap into existence. They, they tell us that you can, you can travel at 186,000 miles a second for a trillion years and not get there. I don't know what you're facing, but it's not hard. When you put it into perspective, it is not hard for the Lord. In Numbers chapter 13, they've come to the edge of the promised land. And Moses sends in 12 spies and they go through the land and they, they come back. And this was their report. The promised land is exactly like God said. Now, the promised land is not heaven. Because when you get to heaven, your enemies are not going to be there. There's not going to be giants and walled cities and southern nations to dispossess when you get to heaven. But the promised land is a type of a victorious Christian life. They tell us that the Israelites had to breach the walls of the city 115 times to take possession of the land. They had to face seven nations. They had to face giants. And in your Christian life, listen, in your Christian life, you are going to face some giants. You're going to face some opposition. That's why the apostle Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. In other words, the Christian life from the womb to the tomb is going to be a fight. And you never get to put it on cruise. You never get so spiritual that it's just, you know, no more battles. It never happens. There's always going to be opposition. How many of you know even a dead fish can go downstream? Yeah, as a dead Christian, you can just float alone. But if you're going to go into the will of God, it's going upstream. It's going against the current. So these spies come back and 10 of them get up and say, the land is exactly like God said. It flows with milk and honey. But let me know your butt can get you in trouble. But there's seven nations. There's walled cities. There's giants. We saw the giants and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. 
and we cannot go in and take possession. Ten, ten spies said that. Two stood up and said, let us go in at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. Now look, they all saw the same thing. They saw the same giants. They saw the same cities. They all saw the same opposition. But when some of them saw it, they saw impossibility. And where others saw it, they saw victory. So it wasn't the opposition that determined what was going to happen. It was what was in their heart. Because you don't see with your eyes, you see with your heart. You see through your eyes, but your heart determines, translates what you're seeing into victory or into defeat, into a possibility or an impossibility. Years ago, I had God say this, speak this to my heart. He said, that problem you're facing, he says, it may seem impossible to you, but there are other people who would look at the same problem and go, piece of cake. Piece of cake. Because they're seeing diff- there's something different in their heart. It's not the opposition, it's what's in our heart. Right? The Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence because out of it will flow the issues of your life, victory or defeat. Whether you're going to be a victim or you're going to be a victor is in your heart. So so what we need to do is make sure that we've got the right stuff in our heart. In fact, the Bible says that two million people believed the 10 and nobody believed the two. Is that interesting? How many know it's easier to believe a negative report than a good report? If I just said to, to somebody, uh, hey, I, I want to go to the uh, cemetery down on Canal Street. How do I get there? This is what they'll say. They'll say, well, go to the third red light and turn left. How many of you know it's green just as much as it is red? But we just, we just look at the negative. We're looking at, 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 at what's going to stop us, not what's going to be going ahead. And all the congregation lifted up their voice. They wept all that night. All the children of Israel complained to Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us out of the land to fall by the sword with our wives and our children to become victims? Wouldn't it have been better for us if we return to Egypt? Now, here's what's interesting. Everybody who said we can't, not one of them went in. Two million people died in the desert. Two people said, let us go in at once. Those two were the only two who went in. See, with the head in their heart, your expectation is a picture of your faith. Your expectation. Is there anything that is hard for the Lord? Jude, verse 3. Now, if you go to the back of your Bible, the last book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The next book, just a little book, it's one chapter, is the book of Jude. In the third verse, It says this, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. I want to mention three things in this church to to this group. First of all, notice he said, you're going to have to contend earnestly. There's going to be people who are going to try to talk you out of what the Bible says every day of your life whether it's culture, 
whether it's family, whether it's friends, but they're going to be trying to talk you out of it. The Bible says you're going to have to contend. You cannot just sit back. You've got to contend for the faith. But notice it says it was once and for all delivered to the saints. What that means is this, that the Christianity you find in the first century is the same Christianity for the 21st century. It was delivered how many times? For how many? All. You will have all kinds of people tell you why it passed away at the end of the first century or in the middle of the third century or for some, they'll find a spot, it passed away, God stopped doing this, but the Bible makes it clear, right? It was delivered once for all. What we find in the first century, we should be finding in the 21st century. And then it says, I wanted to talk to you about our common salvation. So this is what that talk, this is what it really means. Now, the Bible says your salvation is so great a salvation. It's not that it's common in quality, right? But it's common because everybody gets the same salvation. If you can picture it like this, I even thought about bringing a package with me this morning. But picture a box, and on it, it says salvation. And when you get saved, you get that box. Everybody gets the same box. And whatever is in my box is in your box. So if there's healing in my box, there's healing in your box. If there's deliverance in my box, there's deliverance in your box. If there's peace in my box, there's peace in your box. You see, when when Billy Graham got saved, he got the same box you did. Literally, we can say it like this. Anything God ever does comes out of the box, out of that common salvation. Now, what happens is we don't feel like we deserve it. You know why? Because we don't. Just be real simple. The Bible says you are saved by grace through faith. So grace is getting what you don't deserve. What salvation is, is it's not what you deserve, it's what you do not deserve. But what we try to do is we, kept, we keep on trying to deserve it. We keep on, we keep score. You know, well, I did this right, but I did that wrong. And I did that wrong, and I thought that. And so I don't deserve. Well, you don't get it because you deserve it. Now, I grew up in a church where every Sunday morning, we read the Ten Commandments. Anybody else grew up in a church like that? No, quite a few of you. All right. Now, the idea was that we would hear the commandments and we would try to obey all of the commandments, and, and that's good, but we would try to obey the commandments so that God would do something, so that we would have God's favor. Right. Now, the Bible says this. Listen, the commandment was given that sin would abound. So God did not give us commandments so we would obey them and be righteous. He gave us commandments so we would realize that we are really bad. So we'd realize, I am a sinner. He didn't give you the commandments so that you could obey it and say, God, look at me. In fact, Romans 3.20 says that no one not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa. No one has ever 
been made right with God by obeying the law. The, the, the best person that you and I can think of cannot go, God, I obeyed all the rules. That's why you're going to do all this for me. That's why you love me, because I'm so good. No, 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 no. God gave you the commandments so you'd know you stink. So you'd know I'm a sinner, and I need help, and I don't deserve anything. So you are saved by grace, not because of how good you've been, not because you've done it perfect. And here's the interesting thing. The Bible tells us don't start by grace and then try to finish by works. Because that's what a lot of us do. I've had people tell me, you know, if you want your prayers answered, have a new Christian pray for you because they get all their prayers answered. All right. And in a sense, it's true because they get their prayers answered because they don't think God's going to answer their prayer because they're good. They know it's grace. They know it's, I don't deserve this. Right? But then we serve God for a while and we think, well, you know, I read my Bible. I pray. I tithe. I work in children's church. Well, that's not grace. That's works. That's works. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn a blessing. You can't earn a healing. You can't earn a miracle. You can't earn God's favor. It's a gift. It's grace. It's what you do not deserve. God put on Jesus what you and I deserved and took from Jesus and gave us his favor, his grace, his salvation, his blessing. Somebody called it the great exchange. Let me close with Psalms 116. David is, is probably at this point running from his son Absalom, who's trying to kill him. He's a, has a coup d'etat going against King David. And David is literally running for his life. David says, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now, now let me just say this, first of all, that David is talking to himself. How many of you talk to yourself? You know, you're scriptural, because that's right here in the Bible. He's talking to himself, and he says, return to your rest. He's realized that, that that place of peace that he should have, he doesn't have it. He's not there. Remember the prophet Isaiah? You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. But David says, my peace is gone. I'm looking around at the situation, and it does not look good. Everything's going in the wrong direction. Return to your rest, O oh my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. And he begins to look back and to pray. Listen, praise God for the things that God has done. You delivered my soul from death. There was a period of several years. The Bible said that King Saul was David's enemy and sought to kill him every day. Every day he's trying to kill David. But David looks back and he says, God, you delivered me. You never let him lay even a finger on me. And then he said, in my eyes from tears. If you look at David's life, particularly his family, there were a lot of bad. He had a young, a young child that died. 
He has one son who murdered another one of his sons. He had incest in the family. And, and literally, David's heart was broken by what happened in his family. And he looks back and he says, God, you healed my heart. And then he says, my feet from falling. And we all know this story. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, has her husband murdered by the sword of the Ammonites. But then he goes and he repents. And, and David said it like this. He said, you have put me in a large place and put my feet on a solid rock. He said, God, I blew it as bad as anybody could ever blew it, blew it. But you forgave me and you put me back in right relationship. You put me on a solid rock. And he looks at all those things and begins to give praise to God for what he's done. You know what happened? His soul returned to its rest. His soul returned to rest. And if you're in that position today where your soul is out of rest and there's discouragement and depression and hopelessness and dread of what's going on around you or what's happening in your family or in, in your business or in your, your life, it's time to look at what God's done, just like David did, and say, God, these are the things that you've done for him. Begin to thank him, begin to praise him, and you will recalibrate. You will recalibrate your soul. And just like David did, your soul will return to rest. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. All right, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Again, in a group of this size, there's always people in every kind of spiritual condition. Some of you that are watching right now, you've, you've served God for decades. There's others that you don't know where you stand with God today. You say, I I'm trying to be a Christian. I, I, I hope I'm right with God. The Bible says, know that you have everlasting life. You're not supposed to die and then find out if you make it to heaven. You're supposed to know right now that you are forgiven, that you're right with God, and you're on your way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be. And there's others, you're away from God. You've lived for the Lord, but you've drifted away. Today is your day, like that prodigal son, to come home. But I'm telling you, just like that father was looking, God is looking for you. And just like that father of the prodigal got up and ran, God is going to run to you. When you take a step towards God, you draw near to God. The Bible says he will draw near to you. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me. I want you to put your hand over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. Make these words your own. Pray this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart in all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. And I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you I'm forgiven. My past is gone. I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.